Hi, and welcome to Talking Precision Medicine, Data, Drugs, and AI podcast. In this series, we sit down with experts in the application of AI and big data analytics in the drug discovery space. Our guests are innovators, business decision makers, and thought leaders at the intersection of data and therapeutics. We discuss the promise, practice, challenges, and myths of AI in precision medicine. This show is brought to you by Genialis, and Raphael, our CEO, is your host. Genialis is focused on data integration and predictive modeling in precision medicine. We help accelerate the discovery and de-risk the development of novel therapeutics. From heterogeneous data and diverse information stores, we predict with confidence drug targets and biomarkers of tolerance, efficacy, and outcome. Today we speak with Asim Siddiqui. Asim is the CTO at Numedi, a data-driven drug discovery company. He has deep experience in computational biology, software engineering, next-generation sequencing, and cancer informatics, and is responsible for architecting and applying Numedi's AIDD, or Artificial Intelligence for Drug Discovery Technology. We talk about leveraging public data for discovery, communicating between data scientists, bench scientists, and other stakeholders, and the potential and challenges of using AI to advance drug development. Let's get right into it. To introduce myself, um, I'm Raphael Rosengarten. I'm the CEO of Genialis. We work around the space of, of sort of uh, predictive biomedicine. <coughs> Uh, and we're really interested in, in meeting with thought leaders in sort of AI for drug discovery as, as kind of a blanket uh, umbrella term for the space to understand what are the real opportunities, uh, what's all smoke and mirrors, where have you guys made an impact, where do you think there's a lot of work left to be done, and to really kind of have a high-level conversation uh, to help demystify the space a little bit. I'm joined today by Asim. He's the CTO at Numedi. Maybe you can introduce yourself and your company. Okay. Uh, yes, thanks, thanks for that. Um, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Numedi. And Numedi, our primary goal and purpose is to discover new therapeutics. Um, we think of ourselves primarily as a drug discovery company, and that's our raison d'etre. Uh, we see the technology as a, as a, it's a, it's a the platform that we've built is a very useful and powerful tool for us, but our end goal, our end product, are the drugs that come out of the technology. In my role as Chief Technology Officer at Numedi, I'm responsible for developing the algorithms that integrate that data and coming, and coming up with the technologies and processes for identifying new therapeutics. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and so... Uh, Numedi's proprietary technology is called Artificial Intelligence for Drug Discovery, AIDD. Now, without giving away the secret sauce, can you talk a little bit more about this technology, uh, what it entails? Yeah, so a large part of our problem that we try to tackle is uh, dealing with integrating the diverse data sets that are out there. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of data that's, that's been made available in the public domain but the data is not necessarily in a usable state. And so uh, as an example, if I were to tell you there's, there's an oil field down the road, well, you can't just roll up your car there and pull that oil out of the ground, right? There's a process to uh, extract it, refine it uh, to a level that you can fuel your vehicle. And it's the same with our data. The data is all there. It's a very valuable resource, but unless you have the expertise to process that data, analyze it, uh, run it through the appropriate uh, QA processes, uh, it's challenging to work with. So a large part of what we have built at Numedi is the infrastructure that enables us to integrate 
those public data sets into a useful form uh, for, for our purposes. And then we've built algorithms that reside on top of that data and use that data to extract meaning from it. Now, is this a technology that's used exclusively by Numedi engineers to support discovery efforts and projects, or is there sort of a, a user-facing part of this tool as well? It is all internally facing the, te uh, the technology. We have built a user interface on top of the technology, but that's really for internal use. Um, and it's primarily for communi communicating with non-expert users. My, myself and my team are very comfortable exploring the data through programmatically, uh, but in terms of uh, drawing visuals and, and explaining it to potentially uh, customers that we might bring in or, or investor groups, it's very useful to have a front end that can help us visualize that data. Now that's an excellent point. And, and maybe something that's not talked about enough is how we as sort of practitioners in the field communicate what we're actually doing. Um, maybe we can take an aside and, and talk a little bit more about that. Can you comment on, on both what you see as a need for sort of layman's communication and also how, how you and, and your colleagues at Numedi approach that? So I think one of the challenges that we have, we have encountered um, is that a number of the off-shelf tools and, and products that, are, that have been made by, by other companies that to, to visualize big data really don't apply to the sorts of data that we deal with. They're often optimized for, for different, different types of data that you might commonly find, that uh, geographical tags, other, other, other types of information from web logs and such. And, and the sort of data that we deal with is, is very different. And so uh, we have found it necessary to build uh, custom visualization tools uh, to be able to enable us to be able to process that, process and visualize that data. Interesting. And generally speaking, how does Numedi's approach and presumably the approach of, of some of your, your uh, colleagues in the field differ from a traditional drug discovery approach. How have we been doing drug discovery these past eons? So I, th I think you know, one, of the, one of the large differences is, is classically drug discovery has been done in a hypothesis-driven driven manner where the specific hypothesis is formulated with respect to biology, and then that leads to discovery of a target, identification of a target, and then, and then from there you move to selecting a molecule against that target. Uh, we do take that approach where, where, where it fits the problem, but we're also able to do uh, drug development in a hypothesis-free sense where we will look across uh, the genome and, and identify um, a target using the data to draw to the target. It, it's an important step, though, is to, is to then look at that target in the context of the biology to be able to draw meaning from that, understand whether that target actually makes sense within a larger biological context. And that's really a key important point that context is, context is really important. If you don't have the context for a particular discovery, the discovery itself is meaningless. If you've identified a particular drug that you think is gonna have uh, efficacy in a, in a certain disease, unless you can uh, inform the bench scientists how you think that drug might be working, it's very hard for them to come up with the appropriate model in which to test that hypothesis. So having that context uh, provides you with the ability to make that linkage. That makes a lot of sense. In, in a way, what you're saying is that uh, the, the modeling effort itself generates very high value hypotheses, kind of leapfrogs the, a lot of the hypothesis testing that happens earlier in, in basic research or in R&D. Right, I, I mean, I think what it allows us to do is identify hypotheses that might not be obvious or derived from a logical progression with the data. So you may get a hypothesis that is not obvious, but when you start to evaluate it and 
and look into more details, then it starts to make sense and you can understand how it's been, how it, how it's been derived. Uh, one of your founders, Atul Boot, who's a, a true face to the, this movement of, of AI and data science impacting healthcare, he comments very publicly and very vocally about the value of public data. And so I'm interested to know a little bit more about your experience with public data versus, say, proprietary data, how Numedi attempts to, to um, balance its use. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a really great, it's a really great question. I, 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 and I think at the bottom line, obviously, we want to start with the public data. Um, no one's gonna, you're not going to start sequencing the human genome from scratch. It's already out there. There's no point in restarting it. So there's, obviously, there's, there's a very practical level at which it doesn't make sense. But more than just that obvious case, um, pr looking at the public data allows us to construct a map and it provides a digital, what we call a digital map of biology and allows us to construct kind of the baseline case and that, that situation where you have an understanding of the context of the problem that you're trying to, trying to approach. We typically start with public data and we, as I mentioned earlier, we have a process that through of curation and QC that we go through as we incorporate it into our models. And what we can sometimes find is that there's a gap between what the proprietary data enables us to do and, and, and the data we may want for a specific disease. And so as we look into specific uh, disease and specific indications, we might identify that gap. And in that case, we will try and attempt to fill that gap by sourcing data either in collaboration with a partnership with, with an academic group or even generating it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think the public data is, is where you want to start. There's no, there's, you should at the very least catalog and see what's out there. Sure. And, and if it, because it, it may be that the answer you're looking for is out there. But I think as you go into specific disease areas, you, you may well find, and we've found, that in certain areas, it, it, the, the data, specific data we wanted was not available, and so we've taken steps to uh, acquire it. And are there any particular classes of data you find especially transformative? So obviously you mentioned sequenced genomes, but you know one of the challenges in biomedicine is the data come in so many shapes, sizes, and flavors. Yeah, I mean I think um, some of the data that is really that that is that's very powerful for us. There's, there's really two sides to that question. There's the there's the molecular data. And then there's clinical data. And those two pieces are, are very critical for, for, for us. On the molecular side, you know, we're seeing um, some advances um, in the technologies that are available, being able to do finer, finer uh, molecular profiles, things of that nature are very powerful. And, and then on the clinical side, it's getting access to better clinical cohorts. There are ongoing efforts to incorporate detailed EMR information. Uh, and electronic medical records and 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 uh, information such as that, uh, bringing that to bear, and I, those sorts of records can really help change the way in which we uh, approach particular problems. And ideally, you want both. You want really great molecular profiles associated with really great clinical data. In an ideal world. In an ideal world, you don't obviously don't get everything most of the time. It, it would have seemed to me, um, and I, I think this is mostly true that. The molecular data in the public sphere far outweighs the, the patient data or the clinical data just because of the nature of privacy and how much preclinical mm -hmm. stuff goes. What kinds of efforts do you see that might make an impact on making more of the clinical data or this sort of private or sensitive information more freely available? I think there are um, a number of efforts that are underway to try and uh, figure out how to do that. There's been projects like the Million Genome Project, there's the UK Biobank, uh, these, these are, you know, these are efforts uh, that are trying to 
accumulate those large data sets and do so um, in a manner that enables access to researchers while at the same time maintaining privacy for individuals. And I think um, advancing those types of efforts is going to go a long way to do that. There have also been some uh, private efforts that are trying to accumulate cohorts of, of data by and having the patients somehow reap some benefit from depositing their data into, into those repositories. And I think it remains to be seen how, how, how successful those approaches are going to be be, but I think it's one of those areas where I think the fears are maybe a lot higher than the potential value. Um, and I think, if, for example, in, in the oncology area, uh, patients are often willing to uh, give their data into some public effort if, it, if they know it will help other cancer patients in the future, even if they know that they themselves won't derive any benefit right. from them. And so I think, oft, I think at some level, it, it might be that if people uh, understand how the is going to be used and they can see the value that it will provide to, to future generations, I think they're more willing to accept, uh, accept placing that data into, into a more publicly accessible um, manner. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the incentive structure is an interesting topic. You know, you see the rise of companies like uh, Luna DNA, for example, which yeah. is a really interesting and I think potentially disruptive model. But my hunch, my guess is that people will be find greater incentive in altruism than they will in some small token or Bitcoin or whatever it is for, you know, for the, the trouble of submitting their data. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, it remains to be seen. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I'd, I'd like to hear a bit more about Numedi. Can you maybe highlight one of your success stories? You know, this will probably be something you guys have either published or touted already, but for our audience, um, where do you feel like you guys have really kind of taken on a problem and, and hit pay dirt? Sure. So uh, one of the recent areas we've been working in is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, I IPF. So this is a disease, fibrotic disease, called the scarring in the lungs. Um, eventually leads to, the, to the, the lungs becoming very stiff and, and, and very hard for the patients to breathe. It's kind of a very awful way to, to, to uh, awful disease uh, in terms of the effects it has on the patients. And this is an area where uh, we decided to apply a technology and, and see if we could uh, uncover uh, some, not, um, some potentially some new therapeutics. And so we're able to identify uh, a particular data set. We we're using in this project both data sets that are currently in the public domain as well as some data sets that we've acquired um, uh, access to in advance of them uh, being available in, in the public domain. We have, we're using those data sets to make our discoveries. And in, that, in those cases, we've actually identified uh, computationally some novel drugs and novel targets which have shown um, efficacy in in vitro uh, testing. And so we're now about to start a, a stage of in, in vivo testing in those targets, and we plan to plan to take those forward. So that's a, a very recent success that we've had here at Numedi. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I saw um, Jeannie, your CEO, discussing that you're actually kind of becoming a biotech in a sense, so, so actually doing the, the lab work. What's that translation uh, transition like internally? So, you know, my perception is you are truly a data shop, and now there's kind of this uh, pharma arm to it. How is that going? I mean, I would I would um, debate that perception somewhat because I think, uh, from my perspective, I've always been a drug discovery company. From you know, from the time I, I joined the company, we've always thought about ourselves primarily as a drug discovery company. As I mentioned at the start, um, our goal our goal is to just discover drugs and the technology is more of a means to an end. It's a way in which we discover drugs. But really the value for us is in, in those drugs. 
and we've worked through uh, partnership in with with pharma companies and others to help us advance that discovery process. But it's really at some level, really, it's I don't really see it as a transition more than just it's becoming more of an emphasis now within the company because of where we are with our with our products and our portfolio. Uh, and it's you know it's exciting. Um, you know we're at, you know it, I think at the end of the day what it all comes down to is how good are you in the clinic and can, are you moving the needle in the clinic? Because if you're not moving the needle in the clinic, it doesn't matter how how good your algorithms are or, or you know what they produce. Really, that's where the rubber hits the road. And so I think having clinical proof is really going to be a, a big step uh, for for us in the advance of our, of our company. I saw two press releases from you guys just this week. One is announcing a new VP of research. Um, mm -hmm. Presumably she's gonna head up some of this effort. Yes, that's Heather on that. We, we recently uh, joined us and she's heading up the drug development uh, efforts within Numeri. And that's really becoming, uh, it is becoming more of a focus within the company for that, absolutely. And then the other PR, if I'm not mistaken, was about a, a new partnership. Let's talk about partnerships for a sure. second. What kind of, um, sure. What kind of uh, appetite do you find in, uh, is there in the industry or among academic collaborators to, to work on these programs together? That's right. Actually, the one that you're referring to is, is the one with, I think, is the one with Jay, Jay Pestrica on, yeah. on the pancreatitis. Right. Johns Hopkins, yes. That's right. That's right. So, yes, we've, we started a collaboration with them on pancreatitis. And I, I think, you know, they're, they're generally very excited by the ability for potentially a new technology to help identify therapeutics for, for their patients. I, uh, in, a, in an academic group, you know, it's something if we can help identify new drugs and those drugs advance therapies for patients, that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, a big win for everyone. And, I, and, and the same goes uh, for commercial entities as well. I mean, they're interested in, in advancing their drugs. Pharma companies, often large pharma companies, it, the drug discovery AI is an area that they're dabbling in, but it's not an area where they actually have a lot of internal expertise or they may have internal experts who, who are bioinformaticians, but they're focused on other types of projects. And so uh, working with us is a way for them to check out the technology and understand how and where it can provide help with them without them making a large internal commitment uh, to, to those efforts. I'd like to talk about your development a little bit. So you mentioned bioinformaticians at, at pharma companies. You've got quite an impressive CV. It includes stints at uh, Life Technologies, Natera, private consultancy. Talk a little bit about your development and how your skill set has evolved uh, with the science and with the changing times. For me, the biggest changes that have occurred during my career is, is the availability of data and the availability of compute power. What I originally started off as a physicist, and my undergraduate degree was in was was in physics before transitioning into biology, and then it was really called more computational biology. I mean, bioinformatics was kind of a new buzzword around the time I was doing my PhD. And I'd always had an interest in biology, and so it was a, it was a fascinating field for me to enter because it allowed me to combine my uh, love and interest of biology with mathematics. So prior to that, biology, at least, in, it had not really been viewed at that point as really a mathematical field. Of course, now you can't get into biology without without like having, I, I think the future is really going to be run by folks who are developing algorithms to analyze and understand biological systems. But back in the day, there was less, there was less math, math in biology. So for me, it was fascinating to find that there's areas of 
biology that were tractable by uh, and uh, and exciting from a computational perspective. And so I think even back then, one of the frustrations I had was the amounts of data I had access to me. And there were experiments that I was trying to run that just weren't, you know, as a naive uh, graduate student, which were just not computationally feasible. And I would quickly run into cases which where uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't run the algorithm I wanted to because it would not it was just not computable in a reasonable amount of time. And I think what's been most amazing to me is over the last 20 to 20, uh, 25 years has been that development and the availability now of compute power. I mean, we just I you know if I want a new server, I just spin one up on AWS and at right. <laughs> a, a click of a switch, it's, a click of a button. Uh, it's so trivial to get. I, additional computing power. And so that's been amazing. And then with the advances in next-gen sequencing and other technologies in biology, we now have quantities of data which which were uh, just unimaginable back in the day. I mean, you know, when I was working on protein structure, we had maybe a thousand structures in PDB. I mean, I don't, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, something on that order. And, and it's, you know, it's it's a lot larger now. I think those are the real those are the real changes that I've seen o- over my career. And I've I've gone back and forth a little bit between um, academia, industry, computer science, and and software engineering, and more biology focused areas as things are, as things have perceived in, and as things have changed in the field. Um, I was as after my PhD, I actually spent a number of years back in the software industry. Primarily because I was I was disenchanted perhaps by you know the lack of the lack of data but that was available at that point but with the with the uh, sequencing of the human genome that's when I decided to re-enter uh, biology because I saw that as an advance that would would make uh, a lot more data available and it's it's been a really exciting ride about after that time it really stuck in in biology and it's been a, a really exciting ride with the advent of new data and, and new data types being being brought out. Yeah, I recall Larry Smarr, the uh, former astrophysicist from UCSD, who said he entered biology because he wanted a real big data problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to, to move in a more general direction and, and discuss kind of some industry trends and, and how you think about it. But maybe one place to start is to discuss this kind of continuum of, of terminology. There's drug discovery and there's precision medicine and there's diagnostics. And, you know, kind of from the math side of things or the modeling side, these all seem part and parcel, but maybe we can kind of clarify how we think about it. Sure. So, I mean, I think, I think the healthcare field as a whole has, as you, as you, as you mentioned, has a number of distinct pockets. And as if the, the technologies that might be applied to that may be very similar, but the development of those fields is, and the application of that technology in those areas is going to be very different. And it's different, I, I think, from both a timeline perspective as well as regulatory perspectives. And so when you think of uh, applying these sorts of technologies in diagnostics, a very different uh, field to applying them to, to drug development. In diagnostics, the regulatory paths are often a lot more straightforward or, or faster than they are in drug development. Uh, I think many advances in AI to date have been in the area of image analysis, where you may have a slide, imaging slide, or some type of uh, 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 imaging uh, method that that would have been would be analyzed by a radiologist or, or some other uh, practitioner. And those sorts of uh, analyses that we've seen them potentially be be uh, augmented and advanced through the use of uh, AI technologies, deep learning technologies, applying them to image analysis to potentially identify 
features of, of medical interest and maybe and again, and those technologies are now getting to the point where they can, I think, in some cases, can meet and and even exceed um, human practitioners. And 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 in a diagnostic field, I think there's a very rapid path to bringing those technologies into practice. In drug development, we're seeing those technologies bringing to bear various different parts of the pipeline. The drug development pipeline as a whole is is a is a is consists of many different areas, and so you're seeing companies. Uh, that are tackling the use of the identification of novel structures to uh, to bind particular targets that they have that they have, that are of interest. Uh, at Numedi, where that's not that that isn't related at all to what we're doing, but we're we're using our technologies to identify potentially new targets or relating drugs directly to particular therapeutic areas. Uh, there are also technologies out there that people are developing to to identify that might have passed the accrual of patients for clinical trials. And so there's a huge spectrum of the, across you know, the entire drug development pipeline where you can apply these sorts of technologies and their application uh, and the rapidity with which the application will be brought into practice is going to depend on that particular area and the regulations governing that. But I think there's a huge potential here for these types of technologies to really advance and help us speed up uh, drug development. Undoubtedly, there's there's a lot of hype around the field as well. I mean, there's a huge amount of, we'll call it promise, but then people also mm-hmm. like to you know, use a lot of uh, buzzwords to kind of describe their activities. Um, one right. of my jokes is, you know, we do linear regression for drug discovery, which, you know, only makes some people chuckle. But uh, yes. I'm, I'm curious to, to know what you think, where you think that the technology community has so far failed to live up to the promise. But then maybe the flip side of that is, what are some of the proofs that show that, you know, what we're doing actually can and will make a difference? What have been a, just a couple examples of, of, you know, real wins? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, there's some well-publicized failures. Probably the biggest one that sort of comes to mind is, is you know, IBM Watson. I mean, that was mm-hmm. that was really touted as a, a platform that was going to, uh, be able to uh, ad, uh, advance uh, the way doctors uh, thought about and integrated new information, and that's it's had real challenges, and, and you know those have been published in a number of, of, of articles. Um, and so I don't think we need to belabor that point, but it's it's you know there are, I think areas such as that where it's, where I, I think where technology companies uh, often fail is if they think simply by bringing a, a technology into biology that they will be able to solve the problem and, and that it's all going to be, you know, it's all going to be plain sailing and great. It's, these problems are, have not been solved because they are challenging and underestimating biology, if you're, if you're a, a newcomer to biology, underestimating biology is the worst thing you can do. Biology is 10 times, 100 times more complex than you'll ever imagine. Anytime you think you have a handle on something, we discover uh, a, a new molecule, a new process. You know, you know, ten years ago it was, it was microRNAs were suddenly on the scene, and no one even thought about new microRNAs. Then it was link RNAs, and then and so there's there's new types of processes that are that were biological processes that we're discovering. So we don't understand the entire system, and so that complexity in biology uh, can often lend an outsider to think, well, there's there's enough data here, we can we can we can we can make sense of it. And I think those challenges. I think are best uh, best addressed by ensuring that you have uh, a human in the process to oversee and manage results. I think we're a long way from having a completely automated process for some of the difficult questions within biology. 
I, I think, as I, we mentioned at the start, um, you know, our technology, we use it as a way of, of highlighting new hypotheses that, that are potentially novel. But at the end of the day, we have a human look at those and think about, okay, do these new hypotheses make sense in the context of what we already know about biology? Is this a, is this a reasonable hypothesis? And do I have a way to test this in an animal model or in vitro model? And I think those sorts of the, having that human in the loop is a really key is a really key um, step in our in our process. And I think I think getting to a fully automated solution is, is going to be challenging. On the flip side, you know, as I mentioned earlier, areas such as uh, image processing identification a lot easier in that sense to have a very well defined set of images that you can train on. And it's a much simpler question, you know, you can to to get training data on. So. You can have the sort of sets of images is very large. You can easily pass them to a set of radiologists. You can have them look at five, you know, have, you can have a panel of five or so radiologists and look, score all these images, and then you then you have a training set that you can train over. And the variation within those images is relatively small mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking at a particular problem. And so it's a very well-defined problem space. And so those sorts of areas are much more amenable to a automated machine learning approach because the problem, you, you immediately narrow down the problem space versus trying to tackle the type of problem that, you, you, that uh, IBM Watson was trying to tackle where you're saying, okay, look, read and learn the entire body of medical knowledge and now recommend the best drug or best treatment for this patient. That is, a, you know, that is a much harder problem. And I think in order to, uh, in order to be successful, tech companies or, or AI-based drug discovery companies need to carefully delineate, dissect the problem to something that's going to be tractable and answerable, uh, because otherwise you can really easily go down a rabbit hole and there's just, you know, there isn't, I don't think there's really enough data available, although you, you know, you joked earlier about there being big, biology is a big data problem, but we don't actually have enough data yet to answer certain things in an automated fashion. And so we need to use human smarts to augment the computational um, algorithms so that we don't go down rabbit holes and, and dead ends. The human as a biological system is, is sort of mind-bogglingly complex. So there's the history of biological knowledge, and then there's just each one of us. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and we're all in, exactly, and each of us is an individual with their own set of SNPs and, and, and epigenetics. And so then, yes, there's a whole, yeah, as I said earlier, there's layers and layers of complexity. And just when you think you ever understand everything, there's another layer of complexity to add in. I'd like to finish up um, with maybe the counterexample. You gave a, a really great success story from Numedi's past or, or current, I guess. Can you talk a, a little bit about maybe one area where you thought you had a problem nailed and you missed it? You know, <laughs> I'd say, you know, I, I sort of uh, alluded to this earlier, you know, I, I, and I think it's as a naive graduate student, you know, when I was working away on a particular problem, um, I was trying to build uh, a molecular model of a, of a particular system and very quickly encountered issues that were just Im impossible at the, at the time. And, you know, I think that really taught me, it's really echoing the same, the same statements I was making earlier. It told me the importance of uh, specifying a problem ahead of time, delineating, understand what's going to be achievable and what's not, and what's practical and what's not. Because in that problem, I was trying to, essentially trying to solve a molecular problem that was beyond the capability of the computing power I had available to me at that time. And understanding what is practical is is really important. And and to a large degree, the computational uh, resource problem 
has been solved at some level with, with resource sustainability OWS, but you still need to think very carefully about the questions that you ask because you can waste a lot of your time and a lot of compute resources answering questions that are not going to provide useful or interesting insights. And so I think a key learning for me from some of those earlier experiments was understanding the importance of carefully constructing uh, the right question to ask and ensuring that you have the right data to answer that question. Maybe we'll wrap up there. It's a big compute, big data. It's a great time to be in this industry for sure. It's a lot of fun. I'm having a lot. Yeah, we're all having a lot of fun and hopefully we'll help advance the field as part of as, along the way. Awesome, Siddiqui. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to bumping into you at the next conference. Great. Thanks. Good. Great talking with you. Take care. This was the first episode of Talking Precision Medicine, Data, Drugs, and AI. Please share it with your colleagues, leave a comment or a review, and stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for joining the conversation.